Good evening, Browns fans, and welcome to OBR Weekly for August 26, 2021. My name is Barry McBride. I'm the publisher of the OBR, and along with Mr. Fred Greetham, we now infest this Twitch thing on Thursday nights instead of Tuesday nights. It's our second week on Thursday night, so hopefully folks will be getting used to it. Uh, how are you doing, Fred? Hey, we're doing good. Um yeah, we try to we try to lose these people. We get something established one night, then we go to another night, then we get another night. Now we're trying, and they keep tracking us down, you know. So no, that's a good thing. We're glad to have everybody out there and uh, excited to uh, report on what's going on today in Berea and every day and this past week and what the future holds. So let's get after it. Want to hear from Absolutely. all our friends. Absolutely. As always, you control the show. I've got a couple of news items I've got brought along to talk about uh, in case there aren't many questions. But uh, we mostly want to see your questions and uh, hear your comments and react to those. And that's really the show. Uh, but, you know, before we get to that, uh, how about let's talk a little bit about what happened today out in Berea, Fred. Um, I, I saw that you wrote today on uh, John Johnson. Uh, John Johnson III in particular, and how he has been a steadying force for the Cleveland Browns defense. Uh, what are your impressions of Johnson, and what do you think he'll bring to the defense this year? Well, I mean, almost collectively across the OBR, a lot of us were pulling, hoping he'd be a guy they'd go after in free agency, and that usually never happens, and lo and behold, they did. And he has been a steadying force since he's been here. He embraced coming to Cleveland. Um, talk said that even when he was at Boston College, that his roommate was from Cleveland. I think Ignatius and talked up uh, the Browns and the city of Cleveland. And he's always been intrigued. And he played that up big. He said first day he was here back in March. You know, people were out coming up to him about. Uh, Browns fans, how excited. And he just, he's just been eating it up. He's a very gregarious individual. And he, he said, you know, he just talks all the time. I mean, he was the signal caller for the Rams last year mm -hmm. or and they had the number one ranked defense. And it was a little strange. You would think to have a safety because usually it's a right. linebacker, but he says, I can see the whole field. I can be that quarterback back there. We talked to him the other day because Anthony Walker is going to do that here. He said, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I'm still talking all the time. And uh, <laughs> Greg Newsom said he lined him up, and and he's just getting everybody in place. And the thing already in the short period of time, don't want to jinx him, but he's out there every day. And mm -hmm. we've seen all these other guys. Oh, I'm out. Oh, I'm out. Oh, I got a hamstring. Oh, I got a thigh. Oh, I got a ankle. And the guy's out there every day, and all the rest of the defenders, you know, are, you know, maybe no fault of their own, but they're always, mm -hmm. you know, on the bikes or injured, and they're trying to put this defense together. And uh, he's out there. I mean, there's sometimes he was out there with Javante Moffat and, you know, mm -hmm. A.J. Green, and the secondary was guys that probably won't start this year. But he just seems like a dependable type of guy, a leader, you know, and that's what I was – writing you know he's that steadying force you know that they certainly didn't have last year you know when you had Andrew Sandejo back there and Carl right. Joseph you know Johnson's come in since day one and been a leader and 
and that's that that really helps. And so I'm excited to see him play when it when the lights go on because you know he's he's been rated very highly across the board, and I think he's I think the Browns really got a good one there. Well, we can certainly hope so. He was very highly rated. He was a highly highest rated safety uh, in free agency, uh, according to most so-called experts who do ratings and things like that. Uh, and uh, very happy to see him in in Cleveland. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, this other fellow, this uh, Odell Beckham Jr. guy. Uh, he was apparently uh, working with the first team against the scout team a little bit this week, or was that just today? Um, how did he look out there? Well, actually, um, yesterday they had a closed practice cause it rained indoors mm-hmm. and I'm one of about 10, 12 reporters that's allowed in when they go indoors now. And, right. um, and he, for the first time, you know, went out there when they threw the ball, I mean, he's went through the motions, but it was full speed seven on seven. They threw him the ball and you could tell it was kind of a momentous occasion. Cause I think mm-hmm. whoever was gardening, I thought it might've been Anthony walk. I don't know who was gardening, but whoever it was went up and high fived him after he caught the ball. Like you could tell it's kind of a little milestone moment. Well, mm-hmm. then today we talked to uh, Alex Van Pelt, offensive coordinator, you know, and he was saying that Mayfield and Beckham have been able to get on the same page, you know, by basically throwing to each for him, throwing him to routes and using air. I mean, no defense. Right. And you kind of question that a little bit. Like, how do you really get on, get in sync in those situations? But he, he said that they were, you know, close to being, you know, on the same page. Well, then today in practice, he didn't say that. They, the plan was for him to implement into team drills. And in 11-on-11, for the first time, mm-hmm. the first team against the scout team, he was out there, you know, with the first team. The first two plays, they ran away from him, and he just kind of blocked. But then later on, they threw him a pass, which he caught. I wrote a story on it, short story went up this evening, just because it was – the ramping up of OBJ. I mean, they have been very slow with him. I've been watching him since even in the mini camp, let alone in training camp. I'm seeing him make every cut that I don't know if there's any cut that he hadn't made in the past, but he's Hmm. usually when you're coming back, you can run straight, but if you can start making cuts on a dime, you know, your knee's in pretty good shape. So I think he's 100%. I mean, he's close to 100%. I just think there's no reason to play him or to, you know, really risk it. So I think this is what you're going to see. You're going to see him being implemented into um, the team drills 11 on 11. They don't want to get an old, you know, I think maybe even after the cuts when the roster goes down, because you still don't want an over eager, you know, guy trying to make the roster you know, take mm-hmm. his leg out, you know, and injure him. So um, I think he's in good shape. They're ramping him up. I think that he'll be ready to go for the opener, even though Stefanski was asked Tuesday and he still said, well, he'll, he's ready for today. You know, right. he's Mr. Day-to-day guy. And uh, But if my eyes are not deceiving me, you know, that um, 
that Beckham, you know, looks like he's on pace to to be ready for the opener. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot was made of the connection or lack of connection between Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. last year. Um, that may have had something to do with the newness of the Stefanski offense as they tried to get together. But, you know, I wonder how much does a guy like that, you know, a veteran, one of the top players in his position, really need to practice, right? I mean, he can get away with a lot less uh, of the rope practicing, I would think, than, you know, a Donovan Peoples-Jones can, right? Well, this was a good opportunity for Peoples-Jones to, you know, get all these reps with the first team. And, and uh, yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, Landry had a rest day yesterday. They know what they can do. And I think it's just really getting themselves in football shape a bit because sometimes you see a lot of these hamstring injuries because you start, you know, accelerating maybe before you're ready to on a cut here or there. And so I think that you gotta, you gotta simulate it as best as you can. But Mm -hmm. um, I think that he just seems to be in a better place. I haven't seen him really, um, you know, he just seems to be fitting in. You know, he's Tony Schwartz, Anthony Schwartz has found him around everywhere he goes. Hmm. And he said that he's trying to pick his brain, learn everything he can. And Beckham has talked to him about how to use your speed and not turn it all on, you know, every time so hmm. the DB can't get adjusted to you. And uh, I just think we'll see. But I think Mayfield's grown. He's in a better place. I feel like he doesn't think he has to you know, get the ball to Beckham and hopefully Beckham's got to the point where he realized, even if I can only, you know, have one, two major plays in a game, but they make a big difference that that could be good enough. The difference in winning and losing. And, and uh, I don't think you're going to see Mayfield trying to force the ball, you know, and, and locking in on Beckham, like it seemed like he did early last year. I think he's much more familiar with the system and he is now able to look off and look around for the open guy. Right, right. And you know, Schwartz, if he's able to play and able to stretch the defense a little bit more, is probably going to open some things up for Odell Beckham that weren't there last year. At least we can hope that Schwartz will be able to do that. Has, has he gotten out onto the practice field at all, or is he still off to the side, Schwartz? No, he was. he's practiced two days in a row. And, nice. Uh, and, um, you know, individuals didn't do a whole lot in the team, but, you know, he's at the bottom of the depth chart. I think that, you know, if he can continue to stay on the field, he's definitely, you know, has a chance to, you know, play and, and have a package in the, in the first game. But I think it's going to be very limited. I don't know, you know, at this point, Unless they know and they can be certain, because when you're a four-two-five, you know, in the forty, and speed is your thing, if you got a hamstring problem at all, it's not really very beneficial because, right. you know, now even if you're at ninety percent, you're you're running like the rest of the wide receivers. So mm. he's got to be a hundred percent, and so they're not gonna. The problem is you can't really put him on IR until after um, you, you make the roster cuts, because he would get claimed. Right. Oh, yeah. So so 
I could see them putting him on the 53 man and then putting him on IR because then it's a three week, you know, type of thing. But maybe he'll be ready mm -hmm. for the opener. I do think that at wide receiver, since we're talking about it, the Davian Davis suspension might be the most uh, profitable suspension <laughs> that could happen. I don't right. know how you could say that, but it almost things aren't supposed to work in your advantage, but it seems like it's working in the Browns advantage here because I don't think they really wanted to cut him right away because he's shown a lot, but there's really not a lot of room for him. But here now you get a two-week suspension. You don't have to cut him. You have two weeks to see, really, does anybody get hurt? Does anybody get injured? And right. you could activate him if you needed him without ever, you know, putting him on waivers. So, you know, that's that's the thing about it is that, you know, we'll see what happens. I will say I saw Richard Higgins. I don't know the extent, but I saw him in individual drills kind of go down and the trainers was stretching his looked like his hamstring and uh he they put a big ice pack on his upper leg whether it's the hamstring or the thigh um and I don't think he practiced anymore after that today so we'll see you know the extent there but um yeah I think the wide receivers you know with Beckham coming back I think as I wrote and Van Pelt talked about is that you know, the nice thing with the depth, you don't have to rush anybody back. And if right. Beckham's ready to go, I think he's going to be ready to go. But he may not start that game. They may feel Peoples Jones has earned that role for at least the first series. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously, roster cuts are going to be very interesting. And then um, how this team comes out, who's in the, the number one spot, you know, the depth chart is going to be very, very interesting as well. We've got some questions piling up, but uh, I'm going to be a little bit selfish and talk to you about a couple of topics that I'm particularly interested in. Uh, and one of those is on special teams. The team's unofficial depth chart has JoJo Nassen as a kick returner with uh, uh, Johnson and DPJ uh, behind. And there's a similar list of punt returner what what what's your sense of the roles that Felton and Schwartz might play? It would seem to me like they would hold upset that veteran apple cart at returner. Well, Mike Prefer, special teams coordinator, we talked to today. He was asked about you know that, and he said nobody's won the job. Um, he mentioned Demetric Felton getting some opportunities. He mentioned that he wants to see Anthony Schwartz, but he hasn't been able to stay on the field. So right. it'd be interesting to see if they put him out there this week um, to see what he can do. Um, on the depth chart, I've been doing this a long time. The depth chart is made up by the PR guys. They don't even right. ask the coaching staff. Yeah. They just they just try to avoid any um, oh, what you, controversy, you know, and – so it's very generic. Jojo Natson's the incumbent, and he's there at both kick and punt. That's what they brought him here for two years ago. I know that Mike Prefer, you know, loves him. And it looks to me like they're giving him every opportunity to win this job. Mm. Yesterday in the indoors, he ran with the first team at wide receiver, and he ran a, a deep route, and – uh he beat Ronnie Harrison for a touchdown, a leaping catch in the end zone. It was about 40 yards. Right. And 
in punt return. He was the first team punt returner. And so I don't, I didn't think, I thought it made sense to re-sign him as a free agent coming off of the ACL injury, but um, you didn't know because you didn't have the draft that you were going to draft maybe Anthony Schwartz and Demetric Felton. And so it's hard for me to believe that, you know, either of those guys wouldn't get that type of a shot. And especially Schwartz is more of a receiver. Mm. Natson is more of a specialist, you know, punt and kick returner. So the way teams kick off, you don't see that opportunity many times. You know, he right. played the first three games and only had one kick return. You know, it was the game he got hurt. And so I don't know. I just still think it's a long shot for him to void off these rookies unless there's an injury or something. Now, you're talking about the depth chart. Demetric mm-hmm. Felton is not listed at all, first, second, or third on kick or punt return, and neither right. is Anthony Schwartz. So, right, yeah, I think that they're going with what they had last year, and it's gonna it's gonna drastically change. I would not be surprised, you know, if if they keep Natson, especially you know they don't want to put a rookie back there, Felton or um, Schwartz and have them cost him a game because they fumble, you know, fumble the punt or make some bonehead move. So it will be interesting how they handle that whole situation because, you know, Natson really for all purposes was brought here to be the return man two years ago, but then they had a specialty uh, role carved out for him. And now you can see that role going to Anthony Schwartz or Demetric Felton on those uh, plays out of the backfield. So, yeah, it's got to be, be real tough to keep a guy like Natson, who, like you said, is a specialist when you have invested these high draft picks in, in Schwartz and Felton, who is so versatile uh, at that position and can do wide receiver, running back, and returner. Uh, you know, I they love they love Natson, but I, I don't know at the end of the day if uh, he's going to be a guy who, who gets the call given the level of competition he has. But uh, we'll wait and see, right? Uh, let's see how things develop in the uh, Falcons game, among other things. Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about is we've got sort of an interesting situation at tight end uh, with Steven Carlson gone. They kept four tight ends last year. And the fourth tight end, I guess, would be Kyle Markway versus uh, uh, fullback turned uh, tight end uh, Johnny Stanton, who was a guest on uh, our Twitch last night. Uh, Stanton's not as tall as the usual defense or, or tight end. Uh, but how has he looked at that position? Well, I hadn't seen him a whole lot other than in the game and he looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. He caught the ball and he blocked, he had the seal block on that John Kelly touchdown. Um, I think this is all nice shot of stump there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, there, that's a shot that, it reminded me number 40 of Peyton Hill the first time I saw that picture. Right. But right. Um, I saw Stanton's jersey, by the way, a little inside tip. I think they're wearing white this week because they had all their white jerseys hanging out on on the line to dry. Okay. So anyway, but with Stanton, I think it's interesting because I think they were sold on Carlson. 
But I don't know. Right now, Jordan Franks, to me, he looks like a practice squad candidate or Kyle Markway. Now, Markway was here last year on the practice squad, and I think if they felt he was better than Carlson, they would have brought him up. But, mm-hmm. but they're intrigued with him. I just know with the roster spots, they want versatility. And when I look at Stanton, if Stanton can play tight end, but he can also be the blocking back, maybe you can save that Carlson roster spot and maybe even the Andy Janovich roster spot, you right. know, and, and keep an extra defensive lineman uh, or one of those positions that it looks like it's, you know, you have a glut or even wide receiver. So it will be interesting. It's hard for me to believe that they would keep Janovich and Stanton on the roster mm-hmm. with the limited role of the fullback. So, yeah, I think Stanton, the more he can do, puts him in a much better position. And uh, I think that role of Carlson was not as a pass catcher. It was more of a blocker. Last year he caught one pass for 11 yards. That's it, the whole season. So right. I think that's what they want is a, is a block down – you know, type of uh, tight end or H back that can do those things. So the more he can do, the better he is. If I was to guess right now, I would think Franks or Markway would be more practice squad individuals than making the 53 because there's too many good guys would be on the bubble to keep one of them. When you, if you have a fullback that can, that can block and, you know, right. I know Janovich is big on special teams as well, but Stan was brought here when Kevin Stefanski, after he was hired, Stanton was the very first guy the Browns signed after that. And I thought he was going to be their fullback because they had a Pro Bowl fullback up there and Stanton was being talked about to take that spot. But as soon as they re-signed that fullback, you know, the Browns mm-hmm. jumped on him. I thought he was going to be the fullback, and then they traded for Janovich. So he would be a, a younger, cheaper option at fullback if they feel that he can do everything Janovich does and play tight end. So right. that will be a decision that's interesting. And, yeah, you know, he's a OBR alumni now, so it would be good <laughs> to have him around too. Yeah, it's got that good OBR karma going for him now. Uh, plus, he can uh, long snap. He can quarterback. He can do uh, all these different things. Or there you go, the famous, to... the famous fullback pass that we haven't seen since Lawrence <laughs> Vickers threw it with what Mo Carthon. Mo Carthon called that play in a crucial situation, and uh, the fullback pass did not work well. But hey, time maybe time to bring it back. All right, let's go into some of the questions uh, that have popped up in the chat. And thank you guys for your questions and comments. Please keep them coming. Uh, That's uh, what we look to to uh, uh, drive our discussion here. Uh, First question is from a guy uh, I think I know, Brown's Mock Draft. And he asked, how did Denzel Ward look today? Um, Yeah, he's been looking pretty good. He was actually out on the team. And... um, First time he's been in the team in about three weeks. Now, yesterday, I got to see him up close and personal. If you saw a video I posted of Denzel Ward, um, Troy Hill, and Greg Newsom, it, it's on my Twitter account, Fred Greethumb9. He actually bumped me 
as he walked by me because they were so close. We were over in the corner. Right. And so I, I got a chance to video him running. He, he, he was running in between plays when they were doing team and he looked mm -hmm. really good to me. I didn't see, you know, any, I think, I think soreness, you know, was just, you know, a, a reason they never said what it was, but it's probably something right. with a leg injury, but he didn't look like he had any side effects there. So He's moving well. I think they're going to just try to keep him ready to go by the opener. Right. Well, I have, you know, before we go on to the next question, uh, I have two recommendations for everybody watching tonight. And anyone who comes by and watches this replay uh, after, uh, after we shut down at 8 o'clock, uh, my first recommendation is make sure you go out and follow Fred Greetham 9. It's been a complicated a torturous situation with his uh, Twitter handle. So he's starting anew with a new Twitter handle, Fred Greetham nine. So if you want all these videos from camp and Fred's takes on things, follow Fred Greetham nine on Twitter. Second recommendation I would have uh, for those watching tonight is, uh, well, go and see if you can find that Johnny Stanton uh, interview in uh, not the same old Browns. We've got the replay of that available on our Twitch channel Good interview with Johnny Stanton uh, and uh, really hard to come off of watching that interview and not rooting for him, you know, uh, to some degree. Uh, just seems like a great guy. Let's uh, let's go on to uh, a question from uh, analytics genius Cody in Suick. And he asked, what are your thoughts on the ones playing Saturday, Sunday evening versus the Falcons? Do you think we're going to see that, Fred? I think, you know, right now I would think no. I mean, they were in full pads today and yesterday. That's two days in a row. It almost seems to me that Stefanski may be um, having them get their work this week and practice. Tomorrow should be a light practice because it's the day before they travel. Um, if I was to bet, that's what I would say is that they're not going to play, but I could be wrong. Tomorrow, we're supposed to talk to Stefanski a little afternoon. They're going to practice at 11, and then I think it'll be like noon or 1230. He'll tell us what's going on. But if if anything, I would think this would be the guys they have questions about. Um, there may be something I could see, some choice veteran starters playing if they just mm -hmm. want them you know, to get some work as a unit offensive line or something like that. But I don't know about the skill positions, you know, if they really want, you know, on turf indoors, if that's something they want to, you know, how they want to expose these guys, right. but you can go both ways. Van Pelt really was non-committal. Most of the players we talked to have been non-committal They're whatever the coach mm -hmm. wants to do. So I don't know really push comes to shove what'll happen, but I would guess they probably won't. And if they do, it won't be like a typical dress rehearsal. I could see them playing a series, you right. know, and that just to get their feet wet for the regular season. But I could be wrong. We'll find out tomorrow. I don't think you can be wrong. You're usually right about these things, but uh, Stefanski will make it known uh, tomorrow there's some things I really want to see, you know, if Schwartz can run, I'd love to see And Troy dog 86 says there's no need to rush him. But uh, if, if Schwartz can, can run, I'd love to see him uh, return a kick, you know, or a punt 
just to see what that speed looks like on the field. I want to see Malik McDowell playing against some of the top players. And I don't know if Atlanta will play their starters uh, or not, but I would like to see him early so we can get some tape of him, you know, pushing around uh, people other than third or fourth string, you know, offensive linemen. Um, Just that's still the most fascinating story of camp to me is Malik McDowell and uh, what he might be able to do. Uh, Let's go back to uh, just a minute there. Just mm-hmm. a minute. Since you, since this is your desire, I, I will ask Stefanski if he could play him just so, and Thank Schwartz, you. just so you can make your determinations. That's probably the bottom line that is making these decisions. <laughs> but on, on McDowell, um, I think you bring up, you know, and I talked to Joe Woods today and he was asked, we asked about mm-hmm. McDowell, is you can see that talent in there. And now, they're creating kind of a situation because if he plays really well, everybody knows this guy was a high pick. And so all of a sudden, I don't know if you're going to be able to cut him and put him on the practice squad to get him up to speed. But then if you have a good team and you're expecting to be ready to go from this year, can you trust a guy that hasn't played in four years and has that kind of baggage and put him on your team and he has to play? And right. it, if you keep him, you're going to be cutting some pretty good young guys. Right. And so right. that's going to be very interesting. And already he might have put enough out there. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't like you said, he was going against the low end of the of the. But he's a very unique individual in size and, and physical talent. And mm-hmm. I haven't heard a peep out of anything that he's misbehaved or anything they've all talked about him being a sponge and soaking up everything that he's being taught. So if I was to say today, he's going to make the team unless he just has a disaster Saturday, because there's too much potential. You just can't Mm -hmm. grow six, five, you know, whatever his dimensions are. I don't have them in front of me, but he just is big tall looks the part and i think he could probably even he looks like he could even play defensive end i think that they're just trying you know you look at what he's done the past you know in michigan state obviously is a while ago but if he has another outing like he did the other day i think he's going to put himself right on the team well it's 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 going to be fascinating obviously the coaching staff makes a lot more money than uh, those of us talking about them uh, do, uh, and there's a reason for that. There's some very, very difficult decisions that are going to have to be made next week, and it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see how this breaks down. Uh, let's go back to some more questions. Uh, Greg1054 says, hey, Fred, have you been able to tell the difference in team speed watching practice this year? Yeah, I mean, there's no question, you know, that this is a faster team. I mean, guys, especially on defense with JOK, Anthony Walker, um, Greg Newsome, um, those guys are all faster than the guys that they're replacing from last year. Um, and they're, John Johnson, you know, all of them are very quick, very fast. On offense, we haven't really seen Schwartz. Schwartz right. and Beckham are the big speed guys, and neither have really been in team. Um, Felton, you know, the reason he didn't get drafted till the sixth round is because of his times that in the 40 at his pro day. 
He's mm -hmm. not that blazing burner, you know, and, and so I don't know if he's actually a guy, if they put him a wide receiver that can stretch the field, all the speed, the upgrades to me have been on the defensive side of the ball. Right. And, uh, that's where you needed it. I think that um, Clowney's quick, McKinley's quick. They have that quick uh, twitch where they mm -hmm. quick movement off the ball. Uh, Garrett obviously already is. Um, the only guy stands out that might be slower than the guy he played last year was Billings isn't isn't a speedster, you know. And right. Larry Ogunjobi was pretty quick, um, and Richardson off the ball. So. Yeah, all the way around. In fact, Joe Woods talked about today. He said they're going to go week to week in matchups. If some team they feel is going to just try to run run the ball down their throat, they're going to play with the big lineup. If if they're going to be trying to throw the ball over the place, they're going to they have the fast lineup, and so they have the matchups. And obviously, you can you can do pieces and parts and all of that but he really likes the pieces he has for the matchups you know the as we saw in Kansas City last year they couldn't keep up they I mean you had guys like Chad Henney you know running for 15 yards on third and 16 and 35 year old quarterback and you know Tyreek Hill they just had tough time now they have guys that can stay with those guys and and I feel that it's going to be a much better defensive showing now with the speed they have. Yeah. JOK in particular being a guy who's going to bring a lot of speed and ferociousness to that, uh, uh, to that defense at the second level. Uh, Armor hatch has an important question, Fred. Uh, he wanted to know how Wendy's was and whether the meaty relations team also provides frosties. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure where that came from. <laughs> well, we got to walk before we can run. Here's the history because of COVID now last year, mm. the media was not allowed in the building at all. Right. And we all, we were allowed to watch the stretching or individual parts, maybe 20 minutes of practice after training camp was over. So that was all we were allowed. So most of us drove down there just to watch that 20 minutes. And then we left, there was no mm. facility we could ride at or be there. It was either writing in your car or pulling off the road or something. Right. But this year they put a, they tore down. If the Haslands and the Browns have been buying houses left and right all around the facility, I think they're going to expand their practice facility for fans and everything. But right across, right in one, it used to be a church there. They mm -hmm. tore it down, relocated the people, I guess. And uh, they put a trailer and that's for the media. And mm -hmm. there's a parking lot and it holds about 20, 25 people. And so that's where we're at. And we used to be in the Browns building in the mm -hmm. media room. Yeah. And they catered at least once a week, you know, a meal to us. And guys like Joe Thomas would have Mission Barbecue come in once a week mm -hmm. or something. So we had pretty good deal. Well, we've been kind of out there in no man's land. We have a refrigerator and it has water in it. We're glad for that. They stocked that. But that's all we have is water. Well, today, Rob Mick Burnett, one of the PR guys, worked something out with Wendy's and they brought in uh, – you know, they brought in individual uh, meals for 
all of us that wanted it today. It was hot right. chicken, spicy chicken nuggets and fries. And it was very good. And so we were giving a shout out to Wendy's for their hospitality, really hoping they would do it again. That's really <laughs> the bottom line is that when we're at this stage, we're trying to get into a routine where how about every Thursday, you know, Wendy's come on out, you know, or somebody. Well, thank you for that uh, culinary update. Much appreciated. Uh, and Armor Hatch, I hope you have your, your answers. Uh, the big news around me is that we're getting a Swinson's uh, about two miles from where I live. And I've heard That's so many not what things. you need. That, that is, I, I am a large man, and uh, that has the risk of making me larger. So I have to avoid that at all, <laughs> at all costs. But uh, at any rate, uh, let's see what else we got here on the question docket. Um, this thing jumps around on me a little bit. Ah, this is from M. Coverts 8, and he asks, How happy are you to have the kicking battle resolved? But you know, from what I read, the Browns are still being non committal about whether Chase McLaughlin's the guy. Uh, I was wondering maybe they'll bring in another leg. Well, you know, I think that's somewhat coach speak. Um, Prefer mm. said today this is a big week for him, and it is. You know, the kicker's life is day-to-day. -day. I mean, you're only as good as your last kick. Think about last year. You know, they drafted Austin Cyber like two years ago, um, was the kicker all, you know, pretty much that first year. All through training camp, I believe – I can't believe or remember if Parkey was with the Browns in training camp. There was another kicker all last year, and actually – I believe it was Parkey, but I thought he had a better camp. They cut him and they went with Seibert, but they put Parkey on the practice squad. Seibert had one game and he was cut. You right. know, after saying he's our guy, he's our guy until he wasn't their guy one week. And then they brought Parkey up from the practice squad and uh, he kicked the rest of the year. And, mm -hmm. and so McLaughlin, I felt just in watching him, objectively had a better leg than Parkey and he, and he almost every day I kept track. He beat Parkey in the competition. You know, if they do five right. kicks, he'd get, if he made all five Parkey might've made four, there was one day last week against the giants that Parkey won. He made all five and McLaughlin missed the 51 yarder. So in the game the other day, made a 49 yarder into the dog pound um, and it had plenty of leg. I mean, that could have been good from 55 yards or better. And that's what they need. They need a guy that can put it between the uprights, you know, from over 50 yards. Uh, he has been personally successful, but he hasn't played that much in the NFL, you know. And so I think they're going to give him the opportunity at this point. If there was somebody they felt that was better, I think they'd have brought him in. One guy I thought they might be interested in was the Giants had two kickers in camp. Graham Gano's their veteran established kicker who's very good. And they had a second one, I think it's Santosa, and he looked very good. But I saw today that the Giants traded him to the Panthers, and so that took that one off the board. A lot of teams will do that when they know they're going to cut a guy is get a draft choice, and the other team will give it up so they can make sure they get them and not go through the waivers and take a chance mm -hmm. on not getting them. So 
Um, I'm sure there's other guys out there when the cuts come down that the Browns will be looking at. They're always going to be looking to upgrade. They felt McLaughlin was an upgrade over Matthew McCrane because in May 10th, when McLaughlin was cut from the Jets, they signed him immediately and they cut McCrane, who they kept all last year on the practice squad. So they have to feel pretty good about him. A lot of teams have had him around. He just hasn't found a long-term home. So Browns are hoping it'll be here. But I think that's what you do with a young guy. You, you want to keep the pressure on him because when the games count, there's a lot of pressure on yeah. those field goals. And so you don't want to say, nope, we're done. He's our guy. Nobody else coming in. That's coach speak. They're going to constantly say that, but they're, you know, they're, they're also being truthful. If they can find something better, they will go to it. Right. Right. Uh, question from uh, Browns underscore SG. He says uh, big Zagura. Uh, I think it's Nathan suggests that Malik McDowell can be the fourth defensive end. Uh, and what roster options can be done with that? Have we seen McDowell line up at defensive end at all? We haven't. I haven't. Um, but like I said, he looks – his body looks to me more like a defensive end. He's six right. five. He doesn't – I first noticed him in the rookie minicamp when he came in that he was, you know, about a – he was taller than all the other guys and slimmer than the other guys. He didn't look like the typical – you know, defensive tackle, you know, Barry, you look more like a typical defensive tackle than mm -hmm. Malik McDowell would. He's stretched out. So I'm just saying the biggest thing is, is everybody knows his history mm -hmm. and you feel like if you keep him wherever you keep him, you're going to have to play him quickly. And um, maybe they feel he's ready to play because you can't hide a guy in your roster, you know, when you have, eight, nine, 10 defensive linemen you're trying to to rotate. Just depends on how many you keep. But, yeah, I, I think he's going to make this decision tougher because I thought early on most teams wouldn't want to, with his baggage, wouldn't want to claim him on waivers because they'd have to put him on their roster. And they wouldn't take him off the Browns practice squad because they have to put him on the active roster for, I think right. it's like three weeks. And, and if you don't know what you have with the guy, that's a big commitment to put him right on the team immediately. Mm -hmm. And he might've shown enough just in the giants game that you can't expose him to waivers. So, right. So we'll see what they do, but um, I kind of tend to agree that you just can't, you can look at potential but honestly, I know they put a lot of money into Marvin Wilson. There's been nothing about him that has stood out to me. They right. talked a lot about Curtis Weaver. And the, there's nothing that stood out to me about him. Now, that doesn't mm -hmm. mean he's not standing out to the coaches, but they're not standing out to me. The, right. the Porter Gustins, you know, I haven't really seen any of them do anything. I've seen Jordan Elliott do some things, and I think he's going to be an upgrade. But you pretty much feel that Malik Jackson and Andre Andrew Billings are guys that they're they're committed to. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe with Billings, I don't know. But behind him, you got Elliott, Sheldon Day, who's looked pretty good, and he has been versatile. 
And then you got the young guys, Tommy Togiai and Marvin Wilson. And so Malik McDowell really is going to have to, to be able to be versatile if he can play in and out, you know, so be it. It does help that Clowney can go inside, but they, they, right now they might need a little more depth on the outside. Yeah. So do you feel like you want to, a guy hasn't played at all, try to break him in at another position? I don't know. Uh, Malik Jackson also said that he could play some defensive end. I don't think we've seen that either uh, during this year, but you know, the the versatility of these guys, obviously uh, very important to the team uh, as they make those final cuts. Uh, Okay. Let's uh, go further down the list here. Uh, Oh, we had this question from, uh, let me see here, Uh, race up one. And he asked, would you leave the starters at home to not even expose them to a COVID outbreak prior to the season? So if you're not going to play them, just leave them here in uh, hopefully a COVID free zone. Does that make sense at all? Or do you always want to bring those players down? Yeah, I think that, I mean, even last week against the Giants, Stefanski had them all suit up. The guys that weren't playing, they went through all the pregame just like um, a regular season game. And, uh, yeah, I I don't – he doesn't strike me as the type of guy. We're all in this together. We're a team. And I think he would see value in even warming up and an away game on the road, the protocols that they go through, you know, in traveling and staying in the hotel and the meetings, kind of get them used to, you know, like what it would be like when they go to Kansas city in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know about the COVID thing. I guess that's a valid point, obviously, but um, they're vaccinated and, you know, I, I haven't seen them, Staying, keeping them apart, you know they mm-hmm. they will stay in kind of a bubble, um, right? At the hotel and and everything like that. Go to the game and then come back. So, I think he'll keep them all together. I don't think he'll leave them at home. All right, uh, would tend to agree with that. We also have a question from Passive Alpha One, uh, and he asked Fred, "What is your absolute favorite part about the training camp experience?" I guess other than talking to me, uh, you know, on this show every Tuesday about it, other than that, uh, every Thursday about it, other than that, what's your favorite part? Well, I, I would guess is watching the practice, you know, when they're in the team drills, the two minute drill or the 11 on 11s, cause that's the mm-hmm. closest to real football. I mean, just, just stand around, watch them do little drills and, catching passes from the air. I mean, I could go out there and probably look pretty good and, you know, and nobody's going to hit me, but you know, as far as it is a grind training camp, you know, I won't, I'll be honest. It's a, it is a grind. I mean, it's almost like seven days a week. I love when they start getting into playing games because you get the day before the day after at least off we do talk to the coach usually on a conference call day of the game is just the game. So you kind of get into, at least you get two, three days during the week that you're not nonstop training camp mm-hmm. is like seven days a week, because even if they have an off day, they usually make their moves then. So you got to be right. watching 
the waiver wire and, and announcements because life never sleeps when you're a beat reporter, you know, it's just something you say, Hey, I got an hour to go out to dinner. Boom. They, they announce (laughs) a move and that's just the way it goes. So I'd say Mm -hmm. as far as training camp as a whole, it's watching when they actually are doing football. Yeah. I I would think when I went out to Berea, that was always my favorite parts is the seven on sevens and 11s on uh, 11s. Um, how many linebackers, uh, Dogs SQB13 asks, how many linebackers make the final 53? That's a good question. What are your thoughts on that, Fred? I mean, I think right now I'd say six. Um, I know it's a devalued position, but they got some uncertainty. I think right now, I think you got Anthony Walker and, you know, Sion Takitaki, Malcolm Smith, and uh, JOK. The, the intriguing one is Elijah Lee. He's a very core special teams player, but he really mm-hmm. played well last week from the linebacker position. He and Mac Wilson, I think Mac Wilson's in much better shape now because of the injury to Jacob Phillips and to right. Tony Fields. Plus, Wilson's had a pretty good camp. He's currently listed as the starter. I think he'll be replaced by JOK sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think no less than five and maybe as many as six. All right. Yeah. The, the whole Mac Wilson plot line has uh, turned around. Uh, you know, when this all began, I think a lot of people, including yours truly was saying he's going to have a hard time making this team, but he seems to have done much better, you know, this training camp period. Uh, and uh, you know, obviously the injury to Phillips gives him an opening. So, well, here's an interesting thing with Jacob Phillips. They haven't put him on IR yet. And right. IR means you're out for the season if you put him on IR before the final cuts. So if they still think he can come back and play, and I think our doctor said it's unlikely, um, you would think they'd put him on season-ending IR in the final cuts. Because otherwise, you got to put him on the roster. And somebody... Mm-hmm. You know, or somebody will will take him if you waive him. So um, that's a decision. So when he asked me how many linebackers, I wasn't counting him. But right. if they keep him on their 53, they may even show up with seven. But they definitely would put him on injury reserve if he, you know, once they um, establish the roster. So right. um, I think he's got to be lost for the season but they're probably going to wait till the final cut to make that decision. But I would think he would go on engine injured reserve for the season before he even, you know, because the, otherwise you're going to be cutting somebody you probably don't want to. I could see the same thing with Tony Fields, fifth round pick. Then again, he's about healthy. They may keep him on the roster and then put him on IR to give him a three week window. So it's just going to be, who they think can make it through waivers and get on to practice squad. Those are where they're going to make their decisions. A guy they think they can't get through waivers might end up being on the roster. Yeah. Totally different vibe about roster cuts this year than uh, most of the last 20 years uh, with uh, Vulture circling the Cleveland Browns facility, waiting for some of these guys to be available. We always were the Vultures looking for somebody we could come in and start 
you know, uh, they get cut by another team. Uh, let's talk about a defensive end a little bit more. Greg1054 asks, has Joe Jackson outplayed Weaver at defensive end? Uh, haven't heard much from Curtis Weaver, as you said, Fred. Yeah, I mean, none of them really stood out. I think Jackson was a guy who was kind of dependable last year. He didn't hear his name a whole lot. Um, it, that could be interesting, you know, what they think of them. I don't, like I said, they cut Romeo McKnight, who I thought might have some upside, you know, when they signed Markway yesterday. But um, my opinion is, yeah, I would say Jackson probably has played a little better than than Weaver has, but none of them have really stood out to me making making eye popping moves. Um, mm-hmm. I would still think that Weaver's a guy that they may, if it came down to one of those two, that they may keep Weaver because the upside. You know, he he didn't get to do anything last year other than you know rehab and get his body in position. They could look at him right. as a guy that could be on the practice squad and develop them. Um, mm-hmm. if they, if they choose to put him on or, or doesn't make the final 53, I think that the Porter Gustin, him coming back this week helped him a lot because I think he's in a roster battle with Weaver or, um, Joe Jackson to make the team. And again, that glut they have in the defensive tackle position, the versatility, right. Can any of them guys, can Sheldon Day play on the outside? Can Malik Jackson play on the outside? Can Malik McDowell play on the inside? So Mm -hmm. we'll see. It'll be interesting here in only a few days. Yeah, it's just going to be a few days away, and a lot of questions are going to get answered, such as Shaner 2323's question. He asked, what are the chances that Natson makes it uh, out of the 53, I'm, I'm assuming? If you were going to give a percentage for that, what would you give him, Fred? I'd say about 25%. Um, he did have a long run the other day. There, it was called back. Um, mm-hmm. he, he is explosive. They've given him every opportunity. I know Prefer really likes him. pound the table. So it's, it's just hard for me to, you know, when you got two guys you drafted that could do that role, mm-hmm. how do you have room for all these guys? And, you know, at least Schwartz is a wide receiver. Felton's a running back wide receiver. Natson's a wide receiver, but I don't, I don't know, you know, if it's exactly the same thing, you know, as a pure wide receiver. I mean, yeah, he, he's got speed. He's got, he's a guy you pull for, but I would say right now, I just haven't went through the numbers, but I don't see how you keep all these guys if you don't want to cut him, you know, right. I think, I think if you want Nats and you could cut him and bring him, put him on the practice squad. Cause you can put veterans on the practice squad. I don't know right. if anybody, how, how with everybody else trying to get their roster in order, how many would be, you know, jumping to get, you know, a five, 752 pound kick returner. Right. Right. Yeah. Maybe a limited, limited market. Um, but, you know, sort of on a, a, a similar note, uh, Dogs SQB13 asked about what sort of draft capital the Browns might be able to get for Kaderil Hodge. Uh, again, Vulture's going to be circling our wide receiver room to see who gets cut. Uh, why not 
deal one of these guys away and get some more draft capital. You know, Andrew Barry loves the picks. Well, I, I like Kadero Hodge. I mean, I think he's one of the best receivers they got. I watched him again yesterday, made some, he catches the ball. He gets first downs. He blocks. He does about everything you ask for him. To be honest, I like Rashard Higgins, but I would keep Hodge over Higgins because he can do mm. way more. And and Higgins got hurt today. If he is if he isn't able to get right back here, you know, in the next couple of days or even next week, you know, I'm not saying they're going to cut him, but he could go to injury reserve. Mm. A lot of people forget Hodge was the number three receiver last year for until Odell Beckham got hurt. And then Higgins was more of an outside guy, so they moved him out at in Beckham's place. And Hodge had some injuries or COVID, a couple things caused him to miss time. And mm-hmm. and so that's why. But he still went back to the number three receiver, you know, after he came back. Even, you know, you had Higgins, Landry outside, and Hodge on the inside. Peoples-Jones has made that all interesting because now he's a true outside guy and he's going to be your third guy, you know, and you probably have Landry more in the slot, people's Jones out wide and Hodge. I still think, you know, because in this scheme and the weapons they have, he's such a valuable blocker. So yeah, I, I get it. If you can, if you can trade somebody, you're going to cut um, and get some picks for him. You surely do it. But I'm not sure Hodge is the guy you're going to trade. Maybe, maybe I don't know in the value because a lot of teams would say, well, you know, they're probably cut, you know, him or somebody else anyway. That's why I said that Davian Davis is kind of a good thing for the Browns because it gives them a little insurance policy at receiver. But I, I see some of these others, maybe offensive line, maybe you can deal a backup guy or two. And, uh, but, with the injuries, you don't want to deal from your strength or your surplus because all of a sudden <laughs> then you're weak. So it's, it's what's the most important. Uh, one final question is uh, we're running out of time here. This is not necessarily Browns, but uh, would like your opinion on it. Uh, Passive alpha one asks uh, thoughts on the Ravens trading newly drafted defensive back, Sean Wade to the Patriots. Apparently they've given up on this player already, but Bill Belichick thinks that he could, you know, serve a purpose. Could you ever see the Browns making a deal like that, dealing away one of their draft picks uh, this early in the process? Well, I don't, I don't see so in the first year. Um, you know, I do on the other end, Andrew Barry, that's why Malik McDowell's here. That's why last year Carl Joseph was here. That's why Tackers McKinley's here. Those guys mm-hmm. that, had were high picks four years ago or five years ago. Um, when they come back up, you know, there was a reason, you know, they were picked that high. It didn't work out with Joseph. He's hoping it works out with McKinley. Um, mm. th- they're hoping to rekindle, you know, that talent, you know, obviously there's talent with Sean Wade, you know, you, you saw him, I think it was a couple years ago. He was supposed to be a top 10 pick. He went back. Then COVID mm-hmm. happened, and then, you know, he kind of 
slid off, you know, last year. You, you really didn't play that well. So um, I don't know what the reasons are, but the Ravens, to be honest, I hate to say it, they're usually pretty good at evaluating. And if they're giving up on them already, then there's something that they didn't like at the fit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, props to uh, Dan Hate for uh, the bits, for cheering the OBR for 100 bits. Uh, I don't know exactly what that means, but I, I think it's something good. So thank you very much for that. And uh, thank you all for watching as uh, Fred and I talk about uh, what's happening, been happening at camp. Uh, I, what I want you to do is I want you to hang around here because right after this, Stephen is going to be talking to an expert on the matter of uh, Demetric Felton. Uh, who he covered when he was at UCLA. Should be a very interesting conversation. Please stick around for that. And Fred and I will see you next Thursday at 7 o'clock. Thanks a bunch, folks. See you, guys. We're back. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, thanks for uh to Fred and Barry for the awesome OBR weekly job. As usual, thanks to those of you that stuck around. Uh, we've got uh, a, a very special guest coming in to talk about one of the more popular and more electric players that has uh, showed out here in Brown's uh, training camp uh, so far here in 2021. I, of course, am uh, Stephen Thomas. You can follow me at Brown's Mock Draft. I am joined by the best film breakdown man in Cleveland. He is uh, uh, right next to me on the screen there, Mr. Jake Burns. How you doing, Mr. Burns? Great, Steve. Thanks for having me, man. This should be a fun episode. Good player to talk about and a great guest as well. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's go ahead and bring him in, Avi. Uh, uh, actually, let's do this here. And uh, this is I want to make sure I get all of this in here. Uh, Mr. James H. Williams, he is a UCLA <laughs> beat reporter for the Orange County Register and the Southern California News Group. He is a college football Hall of Fame voter, a Bolitnikoff Award voter, a Ray Guy Award voter, a Coach Rob Award voter, and a member of the Football Writers Association of America. Uh, probably the first question I should ask, is there anything you don't vote on? Um, they they haven't let me vote on the Heisman just yet. So that's on the uh, on the on the that's on the bucket list for sure is, is to vote for the Heisman. And, um, you know, there are just some other ones growing up, I think, like the Maxwell and a few others. But the Heisman is definitely uh, the, the, the one I want. So I feel like uh, after that list, I could go to like, you know, the butter sculpture competition at a local county fair. and You, you would be on the panel there. But uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we wanted to talk to Demetri Felton. He is uh, one of the more electric players that has shown out so far in Cleveland Bounce Training Camp in 2021. I know you have uh, covered him during his days in Westwood. First of all, uh, just a little background. How long have you been covering uh, the UCLA football program? Uh, good question. So I've um, been on and off just based on some uh, – things we've had, you know, just with the, with the company and the, and the coverage um, over like the last three years on and off, like I said, but I've been to most of the games. I've seen a lot of Felton uh, during my time. So I think like 2019, um, I think all but the first year of, of the wonderful uh, Chip Kelly era that we've um, or I've gotten to experience so far. It's been uh, something else, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, for uh, for most of the past twenty years until the last couple of years here in Cleveland, we would we would always say, well, at least they're not dull. And it feels like with uh, Chip Kelly at the helm, you've got kind of that same situation out there. Yeah, you you there's no um, shortage of of uh, I don't know. It, it's up it's an up and down roller coaster for sure. It's never boring uh, for for whatever that's worth. 
it, it, now it could be boring for, it could not be boring for several reasons but um it's never a dull moment at, at uh, UCLA or um, LA in general, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so then you know, <laughs> um, when Felton first came to UCLA, obviously he was a prolific running back and, and uh, played wide receiver some in high school too. Uh, if I if I remember it correctly, he started off in the wide receiver room solely and then they moved him back to running back where he flourished. Was that injuries or did they just look at him and go, you know what, we just need to get you the ball more often? I think that move may have happened a little bit before I got there. I think I came in like three games into the 2019 season, but I've heard uh, Felton say uh, several times that I think the injuries and in depth that were um, available to UCLA at that time. At, at, um, bef- um, I mean, Josh Kelly was definitely the workhorse at the time. He's now with the LA chargers. Um, but other than him, it was kind of like, who else do we have? So they leaned on, on Felton and moved him from receiver to running back. Uh, for that specific reason. Um, and, you know, and, and he didn't disappoint, especially after um, Kelly left, you know, he was asked to take on that lead role and um, he didn't disappoint. And he still managed to to produce as a receiver while being starting running back as well, especially last year. Yeah. And for a guy, his size, uh, an off an offensive system like the one chip Kelly runs is probably the best spot for him to be a guy who carries the ball frequently because mm-hmm. we we're, we we're talking about it off air and we were kind of laughing. He's listed at five, nine, one ninety, And man, he, if he's one ninety, it's soaking wet with a pocket full of nickels. So, you know, if, <laughs> yeah, if he was right. <laughs> running between the tackles 15 times a game, I don't know that he'd have the success, but, and I think that's kind of why he's been doing so well here in Cleveland. Is this a, one of the better offenses that he could have landed in? Um, I would have to believe so. So just, you know, uh, just his relationship with Chip Kelly, first of all, um, I think it said a lot about Felton at the time, especially when Kelly did come along to UCLA um, a lot of the guys, obviously, when you get that college coaching transition, you have a lot of um, student athletes left in limbo on, I came here to play for Mora, but now Kelly's here. Um, Felton was one of the guys that was a Mora guy, recruited by Mora, but, um, you know, was one of the guys who didn't decide to transfer once Kelly took over the program. Um, there was a lot of guys left. They were considered one of the youngest teams at the one of yeah one of the youngest teams at the time um, starting true freshmen on the offensive line uh two years ago um but the thing with felton i talked to him about it as he was kind of going through his draft process was hey um when other guys were deciding to leave you had like five star guys leaving did you ever consider leaving and he said no one of the things about chip kelly was uh the ability chip or what chip coaching's coaching style and the way he's been able to use guys that have had a similar uh skill set to felton so felton was obviously very excited about that and decided to stick around and again it paid off for him and now we're able to talk about him as someone who has been drafted into the nfl and is now playing for the browns um you know but again uh felton's just a humble dude and, and even a coaching change uh didn't phase him at all and um, he was just ready to take on the challenge. I think that's one of the biggest things with him is he's willing to take on any challenge uh, put in front of him. Isn't one who's going to sit there and complain and whine. And, um, you know, and I think that's going to benefit him as well um, at the next level. Again, Chip Kelly is someone who coached in, in the NFL, both with the Eagles and with the 49ers. And I've heard um, starting quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson mentioned several times that the offense that they run, the system that they use is uh, is based on, you know, kind of that NFL um, mindset or, or uh, mentality in a way. So and obviously that again, that's what you're going to get from 
a, a guy in a coaching staff that had coached at that NFL level before. A couple real quick shout outs uh, to the chat because we just got a slew of uh, of uh, subscriptions there. Thank you for the subscriptions. Awesome. Fairway Seeker, uh, Batman Mac, Vio uh, Wega. I apologize if I'm messing up your screen names here. ZZX Caliber, Poison Guitar, and Dusty Dion. Thank you guys for that, uh, for your subscriptions. Now, you mentioned uh, that he, he was a humble guy, and that was part of why he hung around. And I wanted to touch on that because we've heard from the coaching staff and his teammates here uh, in Cleveland that he's – you know, all the buzzwords that you normally hear, a hard worker, keeps his head down, a sponge, likes to learn. You hear that about everybody. But for him, it just seems different. It feels like they're really talking the truth. Was that your experience with the young man during his time in Westwood? Oh, my God. Yes, for sure. Like, I mean, the the, the thing with Felton is like you always know you were going to get the truth. You never felt like um, he was giving you coach speak or he was giving you um, – you know, because some, with some of the UCLA guys, and I mean, this goes probably just with, with the college experience, you just kind of more or less start repeating the same thing. Because I'll hear Chip Kelly say something, and then the, the other guys will do player interviews, and they're saying almost word for word what Chip Kelly said. So they're, you know, you know what they said during the meeting. Um, Felton was never like that. He always gave a genuine answer. He always um, never rolled his eyes when he had to do a media interview. Again, someone that was very, I was, that was easily accessible uh, when it came time to say, hey, you know, the draft's coming up. Do you mind uh, just giving me a few minutes of your time? And we mm -hmm. can talk about uh, the draft process and how it's going for you, what you've kind of been able to, to overcome. Um, I've actually just moved to this area maybe like four or five years ago. Um, and where Dimitri went to high school in Temecula isn't uh, Temecula Great Oak High, I believe it is off the top of my head. Um, not too far from where I'm at. I didn't get to see him play in high school. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, you know, in the area talking with some of the um, high school reporters who were a little bit more familiar with him at the time, just been the same dude throughout has, has never wavered or, or had to be humbled to become, to be as humble as he is. He's just been himself. Um, and, you know, I think he credits his family for a lot of that too, and the support they've shown him. Um, I think uh, he's been playing football since Pee Wee or and all that stuff, you know, I think he's been playing for a while. And so there's a love for the game, a, a respect for the game. And uh, you know what you're going to get from Felton, both on and off the field. As far as like a guy, you know, obviously you have no clue where he's going to go when he's going through the process, the pro day, all right. of that. It was Cleveland the spot that you saw as a potential landing spot. Did you have, did you hear any connection to Cleveland interested in him? Was there any of that going on and kind of like, I don't know. When you thought he was going into the draft, James, did you think this is a NFL running back or is this an NFL wide receiver? Or did you think there was a future for him doing both? I thought I thought for sure there was a future for him doing both. Now, did I expect him to land with Cleveland? No. But um, and I think that's kind of why I've always kind of stayed away from even though I've always had the urge to do like a mock draft and stuff. <laughs> right. Because because you, you think you have everything figured out and the draft comes and goes and you're like, well, <laughs> none of that's what, what I expected to happen. Um, from talking to talking to Felton, I think um, I, like I refer to, I've talked to him on the phone leading up to the draft and stuff. And I, I believe I was talking to you guys about this earlier. I don't remember if I actually did talk to him after his pro day, um, but the, I think like the Jets were mentioned. Um, I think he had things with like the Patriots or the Chargers lined up. Um, I know he said he met with Mike Tomlin. I think after the Senior Bowl. Um, either him or Oso Odigizua, who also played for UCLA. Either one of those two guys said they met with 
the Steelers like twice. Like there was someone that uh, one of those two guys met with like the Steelers and another team like twice. And I was like, oh yeah, like if they get it, if they get the chance, that's where he's going. But no, there was no mention of the Browns at all. There was like the Jets, the Bills, the Chargers, um, you know, the Rams were probably in that, but there was no indication um, on Cleveland at all. So it was a complete surprise. And again, it just kind of, like, yep, that's why I don't do mock drafts. And, and I just I just sat there and waited patiently. Um, I was expecting him maybe to go in like a day two at some point. You know, I mean, he was in the senior bowl. He, he scored the first touchdown in the senior bowl, um, if I remember correctly. And, and just from what I had seen from him, I thought, you know, his versatility and someone again, to answer, uh, to answer the last part of your question, I, I, I don't think he was ever going to go straight in as a running back. And I do remember hearing the presser with the local Cleveland reporters after who said, okay, so now that you're drafted, you know, you're in Cleveland, whatever they told you and where are you going to, where are you going to play? And I think they said they were going to start him out. I, I forgot what they, which position it was, but it, there was, he even said like, I'm wherever they want me to go, I'll go. And, and, and that fit exactly with what I would have expected him to say, because that's exactly what he did at UCLA. He returned kicks. He went out for passes he, he, I mean, he did everything except kick the ball and throw the ball. But if he, if they would have told him to do that, he would have done that too. I don't know how good he would have been at it, but he would have tried his best. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Now for a guy, uh, his size, he, he, you know, everybody says, Oh, he can't run the ball in between the tackles. He can't run the ball in between the tackles. Well, first of all, he had over 2,600 all purpose yards at UCLA and you can't be a pigeonhole guy that only does <laughs> right. one or two things and come up with 2,600 mm-hmm. yards. And I did notice yeah. when I was looking through him, his film during the drafts, uh, cycle and since he came to the Browns, they did use mm-hmm. him in between the tackles more than you would think, and especially on goal line situations because he yeah. seems to have that knack that certain guys have for, you know, in the goal line, there's that mass of all the linemen, all the giant, mm-hmm. humongous people, their legs and arms, and he can just wiggle his way in there and get that three quarters of a yard. Do you think he'll <laughs> have a role on goal line? I, I think he definitely will. You know, maybe even if it's not right away, I think he's going to work himself into a role for sure, one way or another. Um, you know, I, I think he's definitely a guy who can have a successful career in the NFL. And you're absolutely right. He's going to find that one little inch he needs, that one little crease, whatever it needs, no matter what pile it is, he always seems to find that one little hole that is like, wow, like, you know, apparently to him would be as as broad as, as, as daylight. But for right. me, I would have just said there's no way there's no way I'm going through that hole, you know? And it's funny because we talk about his size and how, what, I think he's only like five, nine. It's like, I feel sometimes like I have my nerve to call him small when I'm like five, eight, five, seven. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, but who, who am I to judge on the size? But I mean, again, he's, you know, I, I think that just talks about how hungry he is to compete and, and, and prove that he's the best on the field at all times. Yeah, here's a, here's a good. Uh, this leads into another question. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Dogs uh, QB thirteen says he's Warwick Dunlike. Now I've heard uh, other fans try to compare him to Eric Metcalf. That's pretty heady company. I mean, that's yeah. a guy who should be in the Hall of Fame. Warwick Dunn is one I hadn't thought of. Is that a good one in your mind, or do you have like a somebody playing in the NFL today that you think is a better? I'm trying to. Company? Oh, I'm trying to remember. I've I. I'm trying to because they were comparing him to like a bunch of different people, um, to be honest. I, and I don't I want to say now that you mentioned it, that work done may have been that guy. Actually, it was um, Jim Mora, uh, who was a former coach, like we talked about earlier, former coach at UCLA, uh, coached the Falcons, I believe. And I think work done was that was his coach, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, but when when I heard um, Jim Mora do some interviews and 
kind of talk about some of the guys that were going to be draft class. He did. I think he mentioned Warwick Dunn as someone for a comparison to Felton. And I'm trying to remember who it was because I remember when Mora mentioned it, that was a new one for me. Um, I'm, I'm really blanking on who it was and now it's going to bother me, but um, there's a few of those smaller guys that for sure that he would, but work done is one of the good ones. And, and that's not uh, just coming from me, but that's Jamora who obviously recruited the guy and, and is an NFL and former college coach. Um, so if he says that work done is the guy, then that's a solid comparison for me. I would, I would say, too, he's got a lot of similarities. I don't know how familiar you would be with Duke Johnson, who played here in Cleveland for a while. Um, some similarities there. Okay. I think there's some mm -hmm. of that stuff. Duke, Duke was out of uh, Miami. Uh, yeah, in, any of those guys who can do sort of the hybrid stuff. The, the thing that makes him unique is it's it's pretty rare to see a guy go from wide receiver to running back, Steve. I don't know. Maybe you can elaborate a That's little. Right. Think of some people, too. Seems like most of the time running backs go to wide receiver. It doesn't to seem to be the other way around. Point. So like a guy like Duke Johnson who runs really well at the college level in Miami, then is the, the, the way they're trying to get him on the field more. Well, we'll put him at wide receiver and get him on the field that way. Well, that's not an innate thing. It seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, James, but Demetric was predominantly a wide receiver, not just in at UCLA to start, but he was a wide receiver in, in high school, right? I don't mm -hmm. know if he had any, any real running back experience, like consistent running back experience leading up to just saying, Hey, I'll do it if you guys need me to, or did, or did he have some of that at high school? I, I can't remember. Well, And I can't remember either, but like, to me, it just always seemed like he'd always played both. Like it just always seemed that way. Or he was again, or he was just always willing to play both. Whatever yeah. would, 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 you know, was best for the team as he would tell you. But I, as you were saying some of that stuff, it reminded me that, you know, it's again, it's not that he was low on the depth chart at receiver or anything. He was always in the mix. It was just a matter of they needed someone else. They, you know, they had enough guys at receiver that they really needed him at for depth at running back. And I think, you know, he eventually made it, you know, made a home there at that position while still obviously contributed at receiver. So, again, when you mention guys, usually they go from running back to receiver. I think a lot of, of what this stems from was just they had enough depth at receiver for UCLA that, hey, if we do want to try and maximize the potential of someone like a Felton, um, we mm -hmm. do need to put him at running back. Even if that means starting him in the backfield or having him out in the backfield with Joshua Kelly uh, during, his, during Felton's junior year and having a way to move him out for some sort of dump passes or anything like that, that, you know, something obviously they were going to take advantage of. But um, yeah, definitely. I think that's a good point that you make um, that, yeah, you don't see a lot of receivers go to running back. But in this case, you get a running or you don't see running or yeah, you just felt Felton is just a unique case, no matter what you what you try to um, say about him. He, he's always going to, you know, do what's best for the team. He, he has that team first mindset for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a good one from our producer, Ian, Ty Montgomery. That's a good, uh, a good notice, a uh, good comp for guys who are currently in the league. So we're looking forward to seeing uh, what he can do for uh, this team. I think uh, as a six round pick initially, it was, you know, uh, you know, is he going to make the cut? Is he going to go on the practice squad? Uh, he's definitely on the 53 at this point. So, and, and you know what? I never really thought for a doubt. 
oh, sixth round, mm, I don't know if he'll make the team or not. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. It Felton, Felton was going to make the team. Like, for me, I was, I'd never really kind of thought twice about it. I, I kind of forgot he was drafted in the sixth round. I would have thought, you know, oh, fourth round or something, you know. Like, I never felt he was ever on the bubble, and that was even before, like, the training camp or anything started. So, I'm not yeah, surprised. Yeah, well, Andrew Berry has crushed his last two sixth-round pick in uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Demetric Felton. So, uh, <laughs> I know go. we only uh, have you for another minute or two. So, uh, uh, okay. thank you, first of all, for coming on. Uh, go ahead, uh, no plug, plug away. Where can people find you? What do you have coming up? What's on the horizon? Sure. First of all, I, again, thank you guys for having me. And I love that you guys are um, using Twitch as a platform. Uh, I'm on Twitch as well. So follow me at JHW Reporter on Twitch. Also on Twitter, Instagram, just type in JHW Reporter. It's in the in the handle there. Um, you know, you can find just Google that and you'll find anything and everything that has to do involving me and my work. Um, yeah, but feel free to go over to OCregister.com and subscribe and check out the content we have on um, UCLA, USC, the Rams, and um, the Chargers, and everything else. So, should be a good time this season. Now that we're kind of moving um, around on all sports here in Southern California and across the country. Absolutely. And uh, if any uh, Bruin players are on the draft radar when the draft season rolls around, we would love to have you uh, pop back yeah. in and talk then. So. It- a, a name too, I, and I don't remember where I saw that, where I saw this at. But Greg Dolchich is the tight end oh, yeah. for UCLA, and I, I saw him on a Browns mock draft somewhere. Like he was on someone, I don't know if it was you guys or someone else. And I just said, hmm, okay, the Browns. I said Felton's there. I, mean, I don't, you know, they're obviously looking at UCLA, so wouldn't be surprised. So you heard it here first. If Greg gets drafted to the Browns, we'll say you, just, yeah. <laughs> James saw it on Twitter and and it and it's spoken to yeah but definitely call me because Greg's the hot guy to watch right now on the offense um for sure so if, if you need a player to look out for big Greg is the guy to watch yeah if you saw him on a Browns mock draft probably 50 50 chance it was me so we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up thank okay. you so much for coming on James uh I appreciate that thanks to all of you in the chat thanks for the gifted subs thanks for the new followers thanks to everybody we will be back again uh at some point soon the Browns play on Sunday and we've got uh, we'll have a, a 53 roster breakdown show on Monday. So, uh, uh, Ian, you can go ahead and take us out of here. Thank you, guys. Uh, thanks to James. Thanks to Jay. Thanks, James. Thanks to Barry and Fred earlier. Thank you. Thanks to everyone watching. And, of course, go Browns.